Those who are four to six years old, you can go to your class at this time. The rest of us are going to go to James 3 in our Bibles. If you missed the adult Sunday school class, you missed a tremendous blessing. It may be recorded, and I'll encourage you, if you miss a class, Sunday school class, or a morning service, they are recorded and put on sermonaudio.com. There should be a link in our on our website, um, and then you get an email if you are getting email. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Uh, you can follow along. James is near the end of the Bible. And chapter 3 is the, is the middle of uh, five chapters, and it talks about the tongue. Every time you hear sermons on prayer, evangelism, the tongue, it should be extremely convicting because we all obviously struggle with those areas. And James is going to conclude today our study on uh, the tongue, and some would say the tongue Study was should have been done in verse 12, but how do we control, what's the solution for loose lips is God's wisdom. How do we get God's wisdom? We have to study, James, or Proverbs 2 says, you have to study God's word. You can't get God's wisdom by Googling it. You can't get God's wisdom at Walmart or Amazon. You can't get God's wisdom quickly. You have to get it over time. No one gets a doctor degree quickly. Well, you could on some internet sites, but no one's going to come to you for medical advice if you do. No one was going to want to sit and listen to you teach if you haven't put in years and years of study to get the degree. And we want to help each other as a church to grow, and we're going to grow with God's wisdom. We sang songs this morning about the focus that we need to have is on the throne. If you read Revelation, you'll see in the last book of the Bible, the focus of that book is the throne. And it is the throne of God where we find forgiveness and hope and help, but it's the throne of God where we find wisdom. And God has given us wisdom and really good wisdom, we're going to find today, comes from God. The world can have some wisdom, like you're supposed to change your oil every 3,000 miles. Or don't touch a hot stove. Or change the batteries in your smoke detectors. That's, that's wisdom. And you go to the store and you buy batteries. You see when the stove light is on or the, the knob is on, you don't touch it. Um, and we know some common wisdom, and I've heard comments this morning before um, before uh, church today. If someone has a cold in New England, you just say, I'm not shaking hands. I'm cold. Okay, thank you for letting me know that. That's unique to New England. You won't find that, that people have that kind of courtesy. So you guys are very courteous in New England. <laughs> um, but uh, other, oh, we just wipe our nose in other places. <laughs> it's not wise to shake someone's hand if they have a cold. Why? Because wisdom tells you that. 
because you don't want to get a cold. You want to increase your, we're fighting germs enough, increasing our chances of getting sick isn't something that we want to do. So we have to have wisdom for life, but without God, people are left to come up with solutions for man's problems that are going to fall short of what God's solutions are. And there is in um, higher academia all around us, in a progressive uh, culture that we live in, is a rejection of God, a dismissal of God, an absolute um, determination to get rid of God in every single way, shape, and form. We can't talk about God. We can't pray to God. We can't mention God. If sports players say, I want to give God glory, the the person interviewing you never ask, what do you mean by that? They just skip right over and let's talk about the game. We don't want to talk about uh, why you had a good game because God was for you. Oh, no, 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 we can't talk about that. Why is it? Because mankind is going far and farther away from God. And if we're going farther away from God, we're not getting his wisdom. And if we're not getting his wisdom, the problems that we experience... Um, and other people's problems that we're trying to help are going to be greater and greater. And we're not surprised when we hear statistics of people committing suicide and, and depression and in rehab after rehab after rehab after rehab, and nothing's helping. And we have to have God's wisdom. And God in the throne of God gives wisdom. He, has, he knows what we're made of, and he has given us his word so that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness in the knowledge of our God. And if you and I will study to know God, you will find that you are very wise in every way, shape, and form, and especially wise in how to deal with problems and trials. Because trials in James 1 cause us to realize we lack wisdom. And God's going to keep giving us trials because he's a wise God and he knows that we need him for wisdom. And we try desperately in our trials sometimes to find solutions that have nothing to do with God. And he's waiting for us to cry out to him and study the word to see, is there anyone else in scripture that has the same problems that I have or very similar? What did God say to them and how did he help them to walk with him? How did he change their focus off of like for Job's instance? off of uh, his children all died and he lost his health and his wife's telling him to curse God and die. How did God direct Job's focus at the end of the book? And that's how we need to help people, how God helped people. And when we have God's wisdom, we'll be able to help God's people and help ourselves with the best wisdom. So Proverbs 2, verse 6 or 7 says, God saves this sound wisdom, the really good wisdom for those who are upright. So if you will obey God and you will study God's word and you will cry out to God in trials when you need wisdom, he will give you the really good wisdom. And so James 3 tells us what is the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. We looked at a quote last week about worldly wisdom. Today we're going to look at just two verses, verses 17 and 18. Of James 3. So God's solution for our loose lips is to that our tongue would always be controlled with God's wisdom and we would use our tongue wisely and if you will use your tongue wisely you'll be in the small such a small 
minority of people in our country, in, our, in the culture, in your community in which we live. So how do we discern what is worldly wisdom, what is godly wisdom? Last week, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at James 3. This is the outline of the whole book, or the whole chapter. James 3, verses 1 and 2, the tongue control is important, it's impossible, it's inconsistent, and it requires God's wisdom. Because it's important, because it's impossible, because it's inconsistent, we need help. And God knew that, and he gives us all the wisdom we need in the Bible um, to help us control our tongues. So the tongue control can show God's wisdom. All right, verse 13 we looked at two weeks ago, live your uh, knowledge of God humbly, verse 14, what, uh, 14 to 16, what is not God's wisdom, the wisdom that's from below, if we, it shows itself in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, it comes from our heart, it comes out of our minds, or out of our mouths, and it looks like boasting, it looks like speaking things that aren't true, in verse 14, this wisdom doesn't come from above, uh, we could maybe say that we're walking with, with God, but if we have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy controlling our hearts, it will eventually come out of our, our loose lips. And this wisdom is just earthly. It's limited by the earth. It's unspiritual, uh, natural, it's selfish, and then it's demonic coming from, um, this is how demons use, and demons are extremely wise when it comes to the world, but their wisdom is merely worldly. It's not this godly wisdom that we're going to study today. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, and if it's in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. When it comes out of your mouth, it's going to keep promoting that everywhere you're around. If everyone in the whole group is jealous and selfishly ambitious, there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. Now, verse 17. And, and people's tongues reveal that they have trouble in their heart and they lack control of their mouth and they don't have God's wisdom. So the solution is God's wisdom, and now we're finally getting to the solution, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay? So, we can analyze based on what we're seeing. And here's how we analyze people's speech. I can't tell what you're thinking, but if I watch your expression when we see an apple pie on the dessert table, and you're like, Whoa. your eyes light up, and you may say, oh, that, that looks good, that smells good, something. I can tell based on your, based on what I can observe, you have a love for apple pie. And if possible, you're going to get a piece of apple pie for lunch today. Um, and it could be something else, pumpkin pie or whatever else that you like. But whenever we hear people speak, based on what James 3 has taught us about worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, we can look at the world's wisdom and say, you know what, that's not really wisdom. That's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. People are really motivated to get ahead in life, and they appear to be successful because they have a lot of the world's wisdom. And they have risen the corporate ladder, they're in the top of their game, whatever it is, and we say, well, that's not God's wisdom. I don't want, I don't want just that wisdom. 
There's a better wisdom than that, and that's not God's wisdom in verses 14 to 16, but this is God's wisdom. So, God's wisdom has as its foundation purity. So you see there in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure. Let's go hold your hand here and go to 1 John, back toward the end of your Bible, 1 John 3, verse 3. There's evidence in 1 John that we have a walk with God, we have a relationship with God, there's a lot of evidences and assurances of our salvation. In 1 John, if you're doubting your salvation a lot, I would encourage you to read 1 John. 1 John 5, you may know this verse, that these things are written, that you might know that you have eternal life. An excellent verse for those who are working their way to heaven, and we say, and they, they can never say, I'm 100% sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But as believers, we can say that because we know God, because we have the Son of God, because we have a relationship with God. Well, in the middle of the book, 1 John 3, we are God's children. Look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that's Christ, uh, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has thus, uh, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So when Christ appears, we're going to be like him. You know why God does everything that he does? We have a New Testament verse, uh, Romans 8, verses 29, uh, verse 29. Verse 28 says that uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. You know what God's purpose is? For everything that happens to us, we'd be conformed to the image of his son. That's verse 29 of Romans 8. That's what 1 John 3, 3 says here. If I think that I'm going to stand before a perfectly pure Savior one day, I'm going to purify myself today. Okay? So, and Christ-likeness is the goal. Christ is the perfect image of God. He is the perfect wisdom. If you want to know how to deal with any trouble, any problems, look at how Christ dealt with it and you say, that's how I need to deal with it. Okay? So what would Jesus do has become a, a, a former fad, um, but people didn't change. People didn't say, oh yeah, Jesus wouldn't do that, so I'm not going to swear. Jesus wouldn't gossip, so I'm not going to gossip. They didn't, they didn't change their living, but they put their bracelet on, right? What would Jesus do? And I feel good about myself because I have this bracelet on. Or you can put it on your car as a bumper sticker. You can do whatever you want with it, but if it doesn't change your life, you're not wise. You just appear to be wise. And if you open your mouth, we'll tell whether or not you have God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. And God's wisdom has as, as its foundation. So everything else is built on top of this. It's not necessarily a progression, but you do have to have a foundation first. So back to James 3. So Christ's likeness is the standard of purity. He, is, he never once struggled with what he said. He never had loose lips. He never had to say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Never once. Never had to put his foot in his mouth. Never had to apologize to anyone. Because he never did anything wrong. He never said anything wrong. That blows our mind, especially when we struggle and struggle and struggle to control our loose lips. But Christ never did. 
So God's wisdom is available to us if we will study and pray and seek God and we'll seek God specifically in the person of Christ. And God's word shows us God's wisdom and God's spirit living inside of the believer will help us from what's in our heart to transform our hearts so that we're not jealous and selfishly ambitious so that we're thinking like Christ. We're denying self. We're taking up our cross daily and following Christ and whatever Christ would teach us and whatever he would say, we would say. And he perfectly displayed God's wisdom. Everything that came out of Christ's mouth was pure. It was so pure that they wanted to kill him because he made everyone else look really bad. And if you talk to Christ at a fellowship lunch, if we had that option, he would make you look bad too. He'd make me look bad. Why? Because he doesn't struggle with loose lips. He perfectly says what, what needs to be said, how it needs to be said, when it needs to be said, to whom it needs to be said. He would say everything just right. And Jesus tells us in 1 John 3 that if I have the hope to stand before Christ, I'm going to purify myself like Christ is pure. And God's wisdom has as its source purity. If you look at bottled water, some of that you think they just put a tap and they just filled it up, maybe from a garden hose even. It smells a little like, tastes a little bit rubbery. And then some labels of, of, uh, of uh, water say, oh, taken from the uh, source in Maine. And you're thinking, Maine, trees, oh, yeah. But you don't, you don't know where in, Maine, where in Maine they got it. They may tell you the place. Like, uh, not all Maine is, is perfectly pure water, but they're going to package it in a way to, to make you think this came from a pure source, packaged in a pure way, sealed, so it's pure, and then, and then you break the seal, you're like, oh, what comes out of here is pure. Right? That's, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's, that's usually how we think. Now, if someone else takes this, now I opened this this morning and drank some, but if, if I found it like this, and it's a little, little bit drunk and the seal's broken, I have no idea who of you came up here and opened this and drank a little bit, and you got floaties in there if you're a parent and your kids, stuff comes back in, you're like, there is no way. You can keep that eight ounces of water, seven and a half now. You can keep all of it. I will go find another because that that water then is no longer pure and if it's not pure I'm not drinking it because I have options of finding a pure source of water close by now if I'm desperate and there's floaties in here and I'm out in the desert yes I'll drink this but I, I'm not desperate I'm not gonna and most of us aren't uh, usually in those situations but God's wisdom has as its source its foundation purity Christ-like purity so this is holiness. This is God's glory. This is the, the one character quality of God that's mentioned more in the Bible than any others is holiness, purity, and glory. They're synonyms. This is what makes, we just sang about before the throne of God above, have a strong and perfect plea. Christ died on a cross as a pure substitute for us. His blood was pure, as it washed, and it can wash away our sin. All of our blood is, is tainted with sin. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to Christ. 
Christ is pure. He's holy. He's without sin. And God's wisdom, when it comes here and changes my heart, when I expose my mind and my heart to God himself in the pages of Scripture, and I see the purity of Christ, and I say, God, I do not speak like this. I do not think like this. I do not think loving thoughts toward my enemies. I think revenge. God, help me to think loving thoughts toward my enemy. Help me to control my tongue because I really struggle with controlling my tongue. God, I need your wisdom to control my tongue. And Christ loves to hear our prayer. He loves to show us himself in the pages of Scripture. And when he shows us himself, what you'll see as the foundation, the source of God's wisdom, is it is pure and without sin. Hebert, the commentary that, um, so Christ-like purity, um, from Christ-like purity flows uh, peace. I'm going to give you a quote about uh, purity and peace. So you see there in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. You can't have anything else after, after this unless purity is the first thing. Vile things that come out of our mouth. Uh, Ephesians 4 says corrupt communication, which is the word idea of rotten. And you ever hear someone talk and it's like you would rather sit or stand next to a sewage dump than sit next to this person in a cubicle because their mouth is so vile. Why is their mouth so vile? Well, James 3 tells us why. Verses 14 and 16, they have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and it's dominating their heart, and it's coming and spewing out of their mouth. It's like vomit just coming out. You're like, this is disgusting. Well, from Christ-like purity flows peace. If you don't have the purity, you're not going to have the peace. You have to have the purity first. Here's what Heber, Heber's a commentary that I or I rely on most uh, for studying James, very helpful. And he says this, Heavenly wisdom does not pursue peace at the expense of purity, which some parents try to do. Say, I want a peaceful house no matter what. Okay, so they allow their kids to do whatever. They allow their kids to just sit on a tablet all day, every day, because they want a peaceful house. That's not what we do as parents. Now, we have limits on the, on the screen time, limits on the TV, because it's not helpful to play these games for hours and hours and hours. What are you doing productively? You're wasting time, and we're supposed to redeem time because the days are evil. And the older we get, the more we realize, I don't want to waste time. I'm getting older. I've already wasted so many years. I don't want to waste anymore. So we don't pursue peace at the expense of purity. Here's also someone who will not confront someone because they want a peaceful marriage or a peaceful church or a peaceful family gathering. So here's someone who's living in sin. They could be cheating on their spouse and no one's going to say anything to them because we just are a peaceful church. We're a peaceful family. We just don't want to rock the boat. And you just allow things to go on that should not be going on. And we're not going to do that here at church. If we have God's wisdom, we're going to pursue peace, but not at the expense of purity. Purity is number one. And from purity will flow peace, not the other way around. So if we, it will not compromise with sin. So this is purity will not compromise with sin to maintain peace. 
But even when fighting against sin, so even when I'm fighting against sin and I have people in my office that can't agree, or I have siblings in my presence, my kids that can't agree, and I've got people, uh, my neighbors that can't agree, and they're arguing about each other, and they, they tell me how much they don't like so-and-so. Okay? I yearn for peace in all of those situations, and you should too. Like, man, how, why can't we just get along? And you hear, even the world says that. Why can't we just have peace? You're not going to have peace unless you have Christ-likeness. And if you reject Christ, but I want peace, you're not going to find it. Because it comes, it comes with Christ-likeness first. Christ-like purity. And from Christ-like purity comes the peace. Even when I'm fighting, though, against sin in my own heart and trying to help other people, as a pastor, um, as a parent, as a teacher, uh, as a neighbor, uh, as a friend, uh, I hunger for peace. You do too. I yearn to heal all divisions by wise counsel. And so where do we start with giving people counsel? We start with what the Bible says about Christ-like purity. If people don't know Christ, there is no way they can be pure. They, they can't have a pure thought. They can't have a pure motive. They can fake it outwardly, but they cannot produce purity apart from the throne of God. You cannot produce Christ-likeness without Christ. You have to have Christ. And Christ-like purity is the, is the source, is the pure source of everything else that follows in this wise endeavor, in this finding of wisdom. So verse 17 says we first have uh, purity and then peaceable. I'll just keep going. As is its source, purity. It flows from that peace. And then uh, Christ-like uh, gentle reasonableness. If you have a different translation other than the ESV, you'll have a different word there. And this is the hardest of this list of words. This is the hardest one to translate into English. And so... Uh, the best translation that I could find that, that is accurate to the Greek, and many times we have to put two words to make one word in Greek or Hebrew. That's just how it is because every time you translate, you lose a little bit of the, the nuance of words. But the best we, could, best we could do here is gentle reasonableness. Okay, When I am getting God's wisdom, I'm, not, I'm under control and I'm thinking things through. I'm thinking before I'm speaking. That's godly wisdom. Godly wisdom says, the Holy Spirit says to me, Fry, you need to think before you react. Because your reaction is probably not Christ-like. It's not going to be pure. What's going to come out of your mouth is rotten communication. You can't grab those words and bring them back. You're going to have to go and clean up the mess that you made uh, with your words. But you better have gentle reasonableness. Not, and it, this flows from what James has already taught us about. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why? Because we lack wisdom. And when we have trials, we really realize we lack wisdom. We have people around us that are in chaos in every vile practice that we see. And this whole world around us lacks God's wisdom. And here we are expected by God to display God's wisdom when no one else has it. You say, I don't know how to do this. You're right. So you pray and ask God and you study God's word and he helps you to know what to say and how to say it and when to say it. And if it's God's wisdom, your life will look like purity 
peaceable, and you'll have a gentle reasonableness. People will want to talk with you about what they should do in life. Is this wise? Is this not wise? And you're reasonable in thinking things through. And you don't just jump to conclusions, which is fed by that selfish ambition and, and bitter jealousy. So you're slow to make decisions and slow, slow to speak. And it builds on what James has said in James 1, 19. Okay, the tongue can show God's wisdom. We can be gentle and reasonable with how we talk and peaceful and pure. Continuing the list. All right, it says, um, gentle, then open to reason. This is the idea of being willing to listen or change. Have you ever talked to someone and you say this after you talk to them? It's like talking to a brick wall. You're like, I, I get farther with going over to a wall and talking to the wall than talking to this person. How many of you have heard that expression? Okay, we've all heard it. And you all know someone like this, right? You're like, I cannot talk to them because they will not listen. If they act like they're listening, they're not listening because they won't do anything of what I told them to do. So as a parent, I say, hey, I want you to go clean your room. Yeah, sure, Dad. What did I ask you to do? Uh, uh, cl clean my room. So what should you be doing? Uh, going to my room? Yes. Now get going. Get to your room. Clean it. Okay, so we reinforce this as parents. Make sure that you listened. Because if you don't do what I told you to do, I can't tell if you You probably didn't listen. And my wife says, I'm not going to talk to you with footballs on. Now it's the World Series and football. So we put it on mute, and she wants me to see her whenever she's talking because if I'm seeing a screen and listening, uh -uh, doesn't count, and she knows it. After 18 years of marriage, she's smart. She's wise. But I, am, I need to be willing to listen. It's also a willingness to change. We are frustrating everyone around us if we will not change. And we're sinful, and we get the world's wisdom, and we think we're doing all right, and someone tells us, this isn't like Christ. And you say, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do my own thing. And if you're not willing to do anything about it, you are not listening, and you're not willing to change. This is God. You, you lack God's wisdom. And godly friends like we're hearing about in our discipleship testimonies. Godly friend is going to challenge you to listen to God, to listen to people around you, and to display this kind of wisdom in every decision, in every situation, in every trial, in every, in every, every time that we are uh, with people, every time we're by ourselves and we're thinking things we shouldn't think. We need to be thinking like this. This is God's wisdom. It's first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then willing to listen. It says here in our, in our Bibles, open to reason. I love it when people say, I never thought of it that way before. That's a really good idea. I need to do something about that. My dad came from Pennsylvania to help me on my house, and I lack a lot of wisdom in construction. The more projects, and Tim Hilpert has come, and Tony Kirpus has come, if it was up to me, I would have electrocuted myself, I'd have water all over the floor, and none of my lines would have been straight. So I need to be willing to listen and change. My wife has different ideas of what the 
finished product should look like than I do. I look at one thing, price. Is it cheaper? Yes, that's the, that's the, that's the best thing. And we go to Home Depot yesterday. What lock set do you want? There's some things she says, I don't care. Great. And what do I look for? Price. This is why the cheapest thing. Other things I say, you get to pick out this, the tile in the bathroom or whatever it is. And I need to be willing to listen and change and be, um, if I'm going to display God's wisdom in my, in my marriage. So being willing to listen and change is part of God's wisdom changing our heart. The next thing in our list here in verse 17, full of mercy and good fruits. These are together in the Greek. They're also together in our English translation. So it's a, it's a double thing. They kind of go together as synonyms. It's full of compassion and good results. I still have, I don't live here anymore, but I still have tomato plants up here that are turning red tomatoes. I'm like, this is great. I'm not even doing anything. <laughs> and they're still producing tomatoes. Like, So I come over occasionally, and if I beat the animals, then I get a tomato or two. Um, but I expect good results. So whenever we have God's wisdom, it is full of mercy. That word is compassion or mercy. We all love uh, people whenever we do things that are wrong. In our construction project, when I do something that is wrong, I want my dad and Marcus to be full of compassion. John, what are you doing? We can't do that. You just, oh, now you cost us time and money. You cost yourself money, <laughs> time. And, okay, I want people that I'm working with to be full of compassion. You want all of your coworkers to be full of compassion, right? Yes, because you all make mistakes. You all say things you shouldn't say. You want your spouse to be full of compassion, right? You want your kids to be full of compassion. You want your parents to be full of compassion. You want everyone around you to have God's wisdom, but you won't do it. You don't want to have God's wisdom. Shame on us. We need to be Christ-like and not worry about everyone around us. We need to be full of compassion and expecting good fruit, good results. Expect God's wisdom to work, and it does. And there's two um, negative here at the end of verse 17. Impartial and sincere. Without partiality and without hypocrisy, I think uh, King James says. Okay? So Christ-like unity and sincerity. When I have God's wisdom, it looks like purity, it looks like peace, it looks like um, gentleness and I'm open to reason, I'm full of compassion and good fruit, I don't think about other people. This idea of impartial, there's um, James has already talked about impartiality. And if you have a church like James 2 where you have uh, wealthy and, and uh, poor people and everybody's dividing everybody, everybody wants to be the friends with the wealthy people and everybody speak down on the uh, uh, poor people, you don't have unity there. You have divisiveness. And that's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom shows itself through our hearts, out our speech, and it shows like, it looks like unity. It provides a unifying atmosphere. Now look at, look at that in comparison with what is the, the end of verse 16. So if we have the world's wisdom, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, it comes out of our mouths, what's the result of it? Verse 16 says, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
That's the opposite of unity and sincerity. So, uh, and the opposite of compassion and good results. The opposite of, of the fruit of godly wisdom. So Christ-like unity comes out of our lives, comes out of our mouths whenever we have God's wisdom. And we're sincere. All of us love people that are sincere, genuine. You watch politicians and you're like, who is that person really? You don't really know. They can say anything and they do say anything to try to get votes. And you're like, if you're in one-on-one -on -one with them talking and they have no agenda and your vote's not on the line, then their real character probably will come out. And they can probably be more closer to being genuine. And you can put on a front here at church and say everything is fine because that's what you're supposed to say at church. And you can smile. And I've said this before. And you can go out in your car and cry. You can go out and have a horrible marriage, a horrible home, a horrible life. You can be dominated by any types of sin. And that's not helpful to come here and lie to us saying that you're fine and you're not. We want you to be sincere. I like the lady at Home Depot. I go to Home Depot every day now, sometimes twice a day. <laughs> and I go to Home Depot and I see this lady, Debbie. And I say, hey, Debbie, how, how's it going? Are you having a good day? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm having a bad day. I love New England having a bad day. I'm like, so what do I say now? Um, I hope the rest of your day is better than now. I mean, that's the only thing positive I can think of on the spur of the moment. But I seriously, I mean, she just came out and said, no, I'm not having a good day. And it's okay for you to come to church and not be having a good day. It's fine. It's okay to come to church and be absolutely miserable. But don't lie to people when they ask you, and not a greeting, ask you, hey, how's it going? Ask you, how are things going at your house? How are things going in your life? Be sincere. That's what godly wisdom shows up. So I gave you the answer. Sorry. Does this list remind you of another list in the New Testament? It should. It reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And I didn't add this on here for space, but it also should remind you of the love description of 1 Corinthians 13. These three lists go hand in hand. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, he's going to produce love, joy, peace, uh, etc. When you have God's wisdom transforming your vile heart, so it's not bitter jealousy and selfish ambition dominating your life, and you're getting God's wisdom in his word, the Holy Spirit's helping and, and, and helping you know how to, how to speak. And other people around you, Christians, are encouraging you to live for the Lord and walk with the Lord and display godly wisdom, even if people around you aren't displaying it. These lists are similar on purpose, because when the Spirit controls your life, you'll have God's wisdom. The tongue can show God's wisdom. We're running out of time here. Christ-like believers expect to enjoy righteousness around them. If I have God's wisdom and I consistently, as consistently as I can as a, as a Christian, in displaying God's wisdom, I'm trying to control my tongue. When my tongue gets loose and I say something I shouldn't, I go say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. Will you please forgive me? And everyone that heard that, anything, the post that I posted, I shouldn't have posted, I, I am quick to say, no, I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. And you can do that on Facebook. Did you know that? You can apologize on Facebook. Uh, you can apologize on Twitter. Um, and you should be if you're posting things that are ungodly wisdom, worldly wisdom. Um, and you can confront on Facebook. You may be defriended, but God probably expects you to use that tool to confront people as well. 
But Christ-like believers expect to enjoy righteousness around them. So here, remember the, remember the chaos and every vile practice that's the result of the worldly wisdom? Here's what's going to be the result. If all of us as Christians here have godly wisdom of verse 17, this is what our church is going to be like. Verse 18. There's going to be a harvest of righteousness. We're going to be sowing in peace because everybody around here is peaceful because we have God's purity and we know how to get along. And it's sown in peace by those who make peace. So if all of us as a whole have God's wisdom and there's one person that doesn't, that's fine. We know how to deal with them because we live around people. We encourage them to be right with God and be pure in their motives. And if they say, I, I can't do that. I can only live a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in my heart. Yeah, that's right. You need God's help. You need God's rescue from yourself. And when you're rescued from yourself, you're free then to have God's wisdom. And if our whole church was like this, if your whole family is like this, if your whole extended family is like this, you can expect family gatherings to be, I can't wait to get there. I don't want to leave. And if you notice, even last week we only we didn't have coffee. I still was here an hour after church because I, I sense here there is a lot of godly wisdom and we want more of it. And as we have godly wisdom here, we're doing the right thing as a church. That's righteousness. We should expect to enjoy righteousness. And we should expect to be sowing righteousness, godliness, in peaceful conditions. And we want to make peace. We, if there's people that aren't right with each other, aren't right with God, we're going to try to help them to be right with God. And this is a culture that we want to keep developing here so that God can use us to help a lot of people around us who are in chaos and they're, they're practicing every vile thing they can imagine. Because they don't have God's wisdom. And if we have God's wisdom, we're expected to share it with others. Okay, so what are we going to do? Christ-like believers labor to pursue God's righteousness by peacemaking. That's verse 18. All right, then I'm going to give you three things that we need to be doing to be doers of the word and not just hearers. This is great. I know what God's wisdom is. I know what the world's wisdom is. I know how to distinguish this. That's great, but that's just knowledge. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is doing something about what you just heard. Okay, so I got three ideas about how to put into practice what we've learned from James 3. So what? That's great. Just a lecture if it's not application. So how do I do the word and not just hear? Are you studying to know and obey God? I cannot study your Bible for you. I can't obey God for you. I can't obey God for my kids. They have to choose to obey God. You have to study God's word on a daily basis. That's where you're going to find wisdom. You're not going to find it anywhere else other than God promises. You study my word, and my word will help you to be conformed to the image of Christ. You'll be a mature person, ready for every good work, 2 Peter 3.17 says. You have to study to know and obey God, and then God starts giving you wisdom. He's showing you things in his word constantly. Step number two, or application number two. Are you guarding your tongue to only allow God's wisdom to come out? I can't guard your tongue for you. I can give you a piece of duct tape. 
but I cannot and I will not walk around with you with a clipboard and write down everything you said that you shouldn't say. And here's a list of ideas of what you should say. I'm not going to do that. And neither are your parents, neither is your spouse. The Holy Spirit does do that for us. He takes what you have studied, he lives inside of you, and he tells you what you should say and tells you what not to say. So you have, and you have to listen to the Holy Spirit and not, oh, I just felt like saying it. Okay, you have a loose lips. So that's what you prove. You have, God, you have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in your heart. You don't have God's wisdom. That's what you just proved. You have to guard your tongue. All of us can never drop our guard on a tongue. You don't get a pass for where you were born. You don't get a pass for your nationality. You don't get a pass for how old you are. You don't get a pass for who's around you at a certain time. And everybody else is saying it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make it right. You've got, you have to guard your tongue to only allow God's wisdom to come out. When it, it doesn't, when you're not guarding it, something, worldly wisdom will come out. And you're going to have to go apologize. And number three, and we're done. Are you expecting God to use you because God will use you? And he wants to use you because it's not about just us. Oh, I have God's wisdom and my life is good and I've got all these peace around me. No, that's not it. That's, that's selfish. That's not God's wisdom. You have God's wisdom. It's not about you. You have God's wisdom so that you can help others and you can glorify God. And God expects us to use our pursuing peace with unsaved. We call that evangelism because people aren't right with God and we need to help them be right with God. We're not going to give up uh, and we're not going to skimp on the purity of the gospel. We're not changing the gospel. We're giving people the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And that's evangelism. And then with believers here, we call that discipling as we use God's wisdom. So you say, I don't even know where to start. Start with studying to know God. Okay? If you get nothing out of, you got to study to know God. Watch how God and godly leaders in the Bible dealt with people. When God approved of what they did, and you'll find godly wisdom. Study to know who God is. What would God say? How would God say it? How did he talk to Israel? When they were obedient, how did he talk to them when they were disobedient? How did he talk to leaders? How did he rebuke? All that is in the Bible. I can't study it for you. I can tell you it's there. You've got to go study it. Let's ask God for God's help, and then we're going to remember the Lord's table.